understand this about fake news. Uh, even though you watch it, and even though you believe it, it doesn't mean it's true. And we're not here to castigate the media industry. That's really not the point of the series. But there's a reality to how we live life increasingly in this post-Christian culture, needing to discern truth from fiction, the truth of God's word from cultural truth that dominates uh, us from every potential angle. And today we're going to be studying the topic of anger and I want to say, I want to preface this because I, I didn't at the first service, and I, I don't want to imply by we're going to focus on this topic that this is an angry room full of people, okay? For the most part, okay? Um, but there is a reality, and it's a growing reality in our culture that we are battling the dilemma of rage. And unfortunately, this past week, uh, we saw again the potential violence of someone who, for whatever reason, uh, chose to ignore the sanctity of life. So it, again, take this for what it's meant, uh, but we want to look at this whole uh, cultural drift of being peeved and proud of it. There's a passage we're going to use uh, for starters in Ephesians 4, uh, 17 to 32. Marlon Nussbaum has volunteered to read for us. We, what we do here is we stand and face the middle of the room, if you're able, uh, for the reading of God's Word. And uh, again, check out what he's about to read. You will see the transformation potential of someone who believes in Jesus. Uh, Marlon, when you're ready, Ephesians 4, 17. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. However, that's not the way of life you learned. When you learned about Christ and were taught in him accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to being made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each one of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor for we are members of one body in your anger do not sin do not let the sin go down the sun go down on you while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need and do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths but only what is helpful for building up one another's according to their needs, that they may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate one to another, forgiving each other. Thanks a lot, Marlon. You can have a seat. The real 
use of our silly fake news story is to show you anyone can create something that looks the part but lacks the truth. I don't know how many of you read the um, New York Times Magazine article about Twin Falls two weeks ago. Here's the title. This was a featured article in the New York Times Magazine. How fake news turned a small town upside down. It's about Twin Falls. It's about the Fawnbrook incident. And I don't want to get into the details of what took place, but it paints a very disparaging picture of Twin Falls, Idaho, and communicates the reality of falsified news, of less than stellar reporting, and how quickly people uh, grab hold of that. We set out from the beginning to try to make a distinction between cultural truth and God's truth. And this is how we define fake news for the duration of the series. Fake news is simply cultural truth that conflicts with God's truth. You know, one of the things that's fascinating, fascinating in this increasingly post-Christian culture um, is that this is the book that carries the truth of the Christian movement. And never in my lifetime have, has this book been so countercultural? Never in our lifetimes has this book ever been so revolutionary uh, and, and politically incorrect. Because to hold to the tenets and, and standards and priorities of this book in a post Christian culture is going to have us going against the grain, swimming upstream against cultural norms and standards. And, and most importantly about this book, this is the miniaturized version, by the way. I don't have the King Kong pocket edition with me, but this is the miniaturized version. Most importantly, this book contains good news, the best news. And into a culture that seems to thrive on chaos and rage these days, this book contains the things that make for peace. And that's why there's a whole new uh, emphasis on God's word that we've got to discover. In the first two weeks, we, we talked about fake news versus good news. And uh, the, the first week we talked about entitlement. The fake news being we're entitled. The good news is we're blessed, if you recall that. Uh, last week, the fake news was follow your heart. The good news, as we discussed, was to follow Jesus. Now, the fake news, at least a portion of the fake news we wanted to discuss this morning, is based upon a quote by Will Rogers. It's one of my favorite all-time quotes for all the wrong reasons, and this is what he said many years ago. People change, but not much. I want to ask you if you buy in. You take a look around, first of all, at fellow Christians, you know, but then again, the world. People change, but not, but not much. Is there evidence that demands a verdict? Or, on the flip side, the good news of this equation, based upon Ephesians 4 and many other passages that people who follow Jesus put on the new self. And people who believe and follow Jesus are slowly, incrementally, but radically changed through the presence of Jesus and the power of the Spirit. Do you believe that? So the question is this morning, are you believing the fake news or the good news? That's where we start. And what we want to look at in, in broader context before we zero in uh, and dial in on the issue of anger and rage 
is understand there is no group of people on the planet that has greater potential for change than you, than us, than the body of Christ, because the very nature of the faith is about personal transformation, attitude, behavior, relationships. But have we settled on the industry standard, the cultural standard? You know, what's comforting about not expecting people to change, it's generally, generally people meet our expectations. This is who we were before Christ. Look again at Ephesians 4. I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live, live as the Gentiles or godless culture do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. Written 2,000 years ago, still feels fairly accurate. See, this is the former way of life, the old self, is what Paul is describing. This is life without Jesus. And Paul describes it extensively and often, the consequences of living without Jesus, this futile thinking, darkened understanding, indulging, the hardening of hearts, unaware that transformation is even possible. And we live with that sinful nature. Our natural tendency is to embrace what we've discussed already, entitlement, convenient morality, and converts into behavior that reflects the source of many of our current issues. See, prioritizing cultural truth, the fake news, leans toward uh, outer, at times, superficial transformation. The fake news of our culture proclaims it's more important to look good than live right, to live well. Uh, We can be directionless, but fashionable. That's part of the fake news. Now listen, I want you to be beautiful and I want you to be handsome, but understand there are things much more significant. Being fashionable won't compensate for being broken, emotionally, relationally. But we spend inordinate amounts of time on the externals in this culture. It's a part of the fake news. Hey, I was uh, was reading an article from Men's Fitness this week. It doesn't imply I ever look at that magazine. I just stumbled on this article. Fellas, this one's for you, okay? Get your pencils out. You're going to want to take notes on this. Title of the article was 20 of the best genes for men colon, 20 pairs of denim for the different major body types. I'll bet you you didn't know this. Fellas, you know, of course, jeans are the dress slacks for we types. And so the kind of jeans and the fit of your jeans is absolutely crucial. Okay? You with me so far? Okay. That's good. Um, It highlights, does the article, the best fitting jeans for each specific body type. Now, anybody here know what an endomorph is? I want to break new ground of learning. Endomorph? Um, An endomorph is a large guy with a large frame. (laughs) I'm an endomorph. And there are genes that fit me very well, thank you, if I approach my gene selection as an endomorph should which is an insight from my family shopping this Christmas. Um, Ectomorphs. Ectomorph. You're a thin guy with a thin frame. I'll pray for you. Ectomorphs. 
and then mesomorphs, average guy with an average frame. There are genes in which you would look so good, you mesomorphs. It, you know what I'm saying? It's how we live life. It's where we live life, okay? But just so I'm not sexist here this morning, ladies, I've been studying on your behalf too, and I have some subtle beauty suggestions. <laughs> Respectfully, I've studied this past week shades of eyeliner, Helpful hints that can enhance your beauty. Ready? Here they are. Uh, this, by the way, is from Elle magazine. My subscription's almost running out, but anyway. Okay, listen to this, ladies. Light, neutral tones complement cool blue eyes. Sooty, smoky shades enhance gray eyes something you probably already knew. If your eyes are green, a muted purple is enough for a night out. Dinner at McDonald's, perhaps. And shimmery brown is just enough for the day. Hazel eyes in the room? Choose the metallic and pastels in your palette, okay? If your eyes are brown, this is my favorite, anything goes. Are you with me so far? Are you, you enjoying this? Because this is really how we live and where we live. The fake news, and again, please, stay pretty, stay handsome, that's not my point. But this inordinate preoccupation with externals drives our culture. And so men and women, we have become experts at the externals. And how many people don't you know look great and are broken internally? have relationships that are falling apart. And, and it's not that fashion doesn't matter, but what happens when we pursue it at the expense of our walk with God? It's a symptom of the old self. But what Paul goes on to say, again, the broader context of the chat today is we are made new in attitude and action. By contrast, when we believe and follow Jesus, he begins to work on the internals, the eternals, and allows the externals to take care of themselves. Back to the passage. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him as in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regards to your former way of life to put off your old self which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new, we actually sing a song called Made New, in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So as I am being made new in attitude and action, the presence of Jesus, the power of his spirit, begins to transform me, transform me. Slowly, incrementally, sometimes imperceptibly, God is doing his work in me supernaturally changing me. And so if you know me long enough as a follower of Jesus, you've seen these subtle changes in language and behavior in relationships. It's unbelievable when it happens. If you are a follower of Jesus, you claim to have made a commitment to Jesus, you are being transformed, or at least have that potential. Now, the passage, the context, 
establishes the potential for transformation, but then he dials down, does Paul, into a few specific issues. Uh, Anger being the one we're going to focus on for the next few minutes. And I want to share with you the fake news of the culture today. And many of you who are chronologically gifted in the room can think back to a day when the anger quotient, culturally speaking, was never at this level. But the fake news of today's culture, an increasingly Christian culture, is you have a right to rage. And again, this will not be a conversation about anger. Anger is as old as the book of Genesis. This is the cultural shift into this simmering, simmering outrage and anger merged because of entitlement, we're developing this perspective, we have a right to be angry because things are being uh, uh, done against us. We're entitled, we're assured our opinion perhaps is absolute truth and we're quick to rationalize that to justify our anger. We're evolving into this culture of outrage and people are offended even if you aren't offended by what offends them, they're still offended you run into that conversation. Here's a quote from Time Magazine from a year ago. Rage uncorked becomes rage indulged, and rage indulged becomes rage applauded. And today, my friends, we more and more so applaud rage because it must be a reflection of truth, of perspective, of conviction. And uh, let, let me just ask you today, uh, again, I, I know a lot of you, I, you're not angry folk, and so don't, again, mistake the, the purpose here. But let me ask you, what fires you up these days? What gets you simmering? Um, this is a rhetorical question. You want to talk politics? Or um, the NFL and the national anthem? Uh, the refugee or immigration issue? You have problems with your boss or coworkers? Your ex-husband? Weirdness in your extended family? On your wife's side? <laughs> How about your favorite sports teams? Now that makes me simmer. Here's, and I, again, I did a lot of research. It's actually a fascinating subject. I'd encourage you in your spare time, go study American Rage. It's, it's now a rage, <laughs> the, the study of it. But here are uh, three factors that um, Esquire and NBC News survey, uh, this is pre-presidential election, uh, discovered through their surveying of hundreds if not thousands of people. One key factor shaping American rage is expectations. People are really disappointed right now. Um, the American dream seems to be eluding our grasp. The whole political situation, yada, yada, yada. Uh, and the anger of perceived real or perceived disenfranchi- disenfranchisement. And then there's empathy. We're angry about the treatment of others. There's a perception of unfairness that's blanketing this country. And then there's experience. People are angry when they don't like how they're being treated. And I don't care what survey you slice and dice and you're gonna say, hey, any survey may be fake news. I get that too, that's part of the dilemma. Who do you trust, what do you trust? But a a recent survey, and I hate even to bring up the term CNN because I know what some of you may believe about CNN, 
But the poll that came out in December of 2015 suggested that 69% of Americans are either very angry or somewhat angry about the way things are going in the U.S. 69%, 7 out of 10. Many people are not only angry, but here's the dilemma. They are angrier than they were a year ago. That's the drift. Obviously, there are people that were outraged because President Trump was elected, and now Hillary supporters are still outraged. Bernie Sanders supporters are still outraged. Lots of Republicans are still outraged. But so are the vegans. I read articles about vegan outrage this week. No joke. Google it, if you believe it. In an article, it described the owners of a chain of vegan restaurants who were discovered eating meat on their own time on their own farm. And the vegans are outraged. There's dancers outraged. I read an article about a clothing ad in which the performer who portrays a dancer isn't really a dancer. And the title of the article is Dancers Outraged. Um, There's gardeners outraged. Fishermen outraged. Knitters outraged. No joke. Knitters. These kindly little grandparent types. At least there's your stereotype for the day. And what that one is about, something about the U.S. Olympic Committee, they they did not let them use the term Knitters Olympics. And they're outraged. And I know this isn't describing anyone in this room, but we are not a happy people these days. We're peeved and proud of it. Anger is affirmed. And you're saying, now listen, I don't get angry, I just get a little fired up every once in a while. Yeah, I may have a chip on my shoulder. I, I I know the routine. That probably is the Christian majority opinion. But here's where the post-Christian culture fits in. In the current climate of an increasingly post-Christian culture, even that attitude potentially fans the flames of division and hostility. And you know what? We see it here. Never has there been greater division in this church than today. With all due respect. And you know what it's about? Issues. And it's not about the issues, it's the stances and attitudes we take accompanying the issues. Um, Perhaps one cause of the anger is, and the reason it's increasingly high, is there's just so many platforms to spew out words. There really is. You wanna vent about your noisy neighbor? Go to Facebook Live. You want to boycott a product because you you hate the company's owner? Just tweet and start a revolution. See, the fake news, we have a right to rage. The good news is, and this is as old as Jesus pronounced it, but in particular in an increasingly post-Christian culture, we have a call to peacemaking. And I'm going to argue this that you can blow off that verse in Matthew 5, 9 because you think, well, that really doesn't apply to me. My, my friends today, there are people close to you that are simmering with anger. They can't put the past, whatever the issues are, and we have never needed peacemakers than we do today. 
Now, let's zero in on the specific challenge. What do we do with anger, says Paul? And again, it's a classic passage. I'll let you do, make the conclusions. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. I don't know a better passage that describes a cause and effect. The effect, the cause of anger, those inner issues, bitterness, malice, those internal combustible factors that lead to our rage and anger, brawling and slander. And what the passage reminds us is to be ruthless and relentless in settling accounts in God-honoring ways before they escalate because people are not healthy all of the time these days. They're coming out of dysfunction, and the inability to resolve those kind of little things can become major things. Uh, you talk to anybody who works with kids in the school system today, and you know, one, of, one of the real challenges is you've got angry kids. Some of you know this. Regardless of age, you wanna talk second graders, fourth graders, you name it, whatever grade, kids are struggling in their anger and try to have a teacher uh, teach a, a child, a little boy or girl that's coming to school so angry they can't function. That's part and parcel in the school systems today. Tragic. The motivation, the last verse, verse 32, just as Christ forgave us, it's where this principle begins. And again, if anger is not your problem this morning, you can, you can check the box and say, good for me. Praise God, I'm not dealing with it. But it's not over for you because your challenge then becomes even greater. You are the ones that, to which Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers for you are the ones that will be called the children of God. Not blessed are you conflict avoiders, which a lot of us are. Because why would you go out of your way to get in the middle of that? But blessed are you, friends, for making the peace, not in enabling ways, in healthy ways, don't hear what I'm not saying, but in ways that stimulates peace, that brings about reconciliation. Blessed are the peacemakers. And it begins with the peace of Christ, the transformation peace, when the peace of Christ, the peace of the Holy Spirit, slowly diminishes those thoughts and attitudes that are so prevalent and so acceptable in our culture. That's when the transformation changed. That's when I earned the right to be heard in situations and relationships. And so I'm going to ask the question, what do I need to do if it's an issue for me to reduce the anger in my life? We deal with people that are carrying anger due to physical and sexual abuse from their childhoods. And again, that's in, in a different category all, all of itself. And the need for healing and the, the journey is just a long, lengthy, painful journey. But those may be the people, that may be the individual that you have been placed next to, to bring peace to, to encourage, to, to walk through a, a, a counseling process, whatever it may be, to pray for their healing. That's where it begins to reduce anger in our own lives, to look around us 
And I, I, have, I was asking myself this question numerous times, do I fuel hostility or defuse it? When I'm in a conversation that gets pretty fired up, people's opinions and you know those kind of things, do I defuse that or do I add fuel to it? And I've got to get after that because there's so many more conversations I'm a part of these days that have a heightened sense of angst and anger and frustration. Um, do I fuel the issues of family and community and nation with rhetoric? Or do I seize the opportunity to make peace and reconcile? Uh, Again, ask yourself, what role do you usually play in those conversations? What role do you usually play in, uh, in, in dealing with the individuals closest to you or the issues in our community where we see division and prejudice? James 1.19 says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And those are really interrelated because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires, and God desires righteousness from every one of us. See, one of, the, one of the subtleties in our culture these days is we pride ourselves as Christians on being right about certain moral issues based upon our stance in God's word. We know what the Bible says, so we have a right to stand up. Yet it's possible these days to be on the right side of an issue based upon God's word, biblical truth, and still be very wrong because of the attitude with which we portray it. Which matters most to God? The fact that we're standing firmly on God's word or that we're presenting the proper attitude, speaking the truth in love, being willing to, willing to communicate on behalf of Jesus? It's a trick question. Both of those have equal significance. So we can angrily defend our right position and lose God's blessing in how we communicate our stance. So you know this righteous wrath stuff that we all justify, I honestly just stay away if I can from trying to being angry at all because I don't handle righteous wrath well. It gets twisted in my mind and it becomes judgmentalism and self-righteousness. One of the great evidences of a transformed life is addressing the hostility and anger issues we have within and taking more seriously than ever before the invitation to make peace in any opportunity, in every relationship that we possibly can pursue. And the words of the passage say, don't start tomorrow with today's anger. And even for maybe a few of us this morning, we need to leave the anger here. Don't let the sun go down on what simmers in our hearts. But what I love about following Jesus and prioritizing Scripture is that if we believe and we follow him and we surrender to the teachings of this book, this countercultural book, it will change us. It will change us us, and it will lead us into relationships and situations where we bring the peace of Christ. And my friends, never, ever, ever in our lifetime have we needed that more than these days. Let's pray.
Father, for anyone here today that's struggling with anger in any way, shape, or form, uh, Lord, I just pray for healing. I pray that through your Spirit's presence, who's the counselor, the empowerer, the equipper, you'll, you'll change them. Perhaps incrementally, perhaps through the trusted words of a friend. However you see fit, Lord, bring peace to their lives. For many of us, we have opportunities to become peacemakers, to address individuals who are struggling, uh, situations, relationships, family dysfunction, a social injustice. Father, wherever you have placed us, give us a new and profound sensitivity of being the one who might stand in the gap in the name of Christ for the sake of peace. Father, the good news of the gospel is from the inside out, you can take us and make us new again. And we're so thankful for that. In Christ's name, amen.